This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. So by now I'm sure that you've heard about Bill Maher's newest segment where he demonizes trans children and sides pretty explicitly with conservatives on this particular issue. Now, the reason why this nine minute long segment bothered me so much is because I know that Bill Maher knows better. I've lost faith in him. I'm no longer a fan of Bill Maher after being previously a huge fan of him, but you know that he knows better because he sprinkles in tidbits of logic and reason throughout the course of this entire uh, clip. But the problem is that he ultimately sides with conservatives, with TERFs here, and he makes a transphobic argument. And the reason why I think that he's doing this, even if deep down he knows it's wrong, is because he wants to pander to his new pals on the right. In fact, Marjorie Taylor Greene took to Twitter to thank him for this particular segment. Fox News decided to praise Bill Maher for doing another transphobic segment, this time being more explicit. So that's probably why he's doing it, but I'm not necessarily sure what his motivations are. And really, I don't care. What he's doing here is disingenuous, it's deceitful, and it's factually incorrect. Now, the segment itself is nine minutes long, so I can't possibly react to all of it, but there's a couple of moments that I really wanna highlight in particular that, that stood out to me because of how deceptive he's being. Here's the first. And finally, new rule, if something about the human race is changing at a previously unprecedented rate, we have to at least discuss it. Broken down over time, the LGBT population of America seems to be roughly doubling every generation. According to a recent Gallup poll, less than 1% of Americans born before 1946, that's Joe Biden's generation, identify that way. 2.6% of boomers do, 4.2% of Gen X, 10.5% of millennials, and 20.8% of Gen Z. Which means if we follow this trajectory, we will all be gay in 2054. <laughs> And then who's going to buy this chair? <laughs> I'm just saying that when things change this much, this fast, people are allowed to ask, what's up with that? So first of all, he sounds the alarm about how many people are identifying as LGBTQ+. Now, the o only reason why you think that this is bad is if you think that being gay or being trans is bad. It's an argument rooted in homophobia because, oh my God, if more people are gay, that's very clearly bad, right? But ask yourself why this is happening. Is being LGBTQ plus some sort of contagious disease or is it the case that times are changing and society is changing and each subsequent generation is getting more and more accepting and affirming of their LGBTQ plus peers? Therefore, gay and trans people really don't feel the need to hide in the closet. I mean, we know that he knows this argument because later on in the segment, he says, yes, 
obviously it's the case that, you know, society's becoming more accepting. But yet he still plays dumb and makes it seem as if, oh my god, what's going on here? Well, we can look back to history to explain this current moment. The history of left-handedness. And you've seen this chart before if you've watched my content. So between the 1880s and the 1900s, the rate of left-handedness was going down. Now, let's just pause for a moment right there. Why was the rate of left-handed people going down? Well, it was because society was demonizing people who were left-handed. Not only was it inconvenient to specifically manufacture tools for left-handed people, that was just an extra cost for a small percentage of the population, but there were also individuals who were extremists and they ascribed actual supernatural traits to left-handed people. They were seen as being evil, demonic, and doing witchcraft. So, People were afraid to come out and be themselves and use their left hand. Therefore, they kind of went into the closet. But slowly but surely, times began to change. So let's go back to that chart. Left-handedness increased by 2% between 1900 and 1920. However, between 1920 and 1940, when things really started to change, culturally speaking, well, the number of left-handed people exploded in the same way that the number of LGBTQ plus people is exploding right now. But as of the 1960s, the number of left-handed people plateaued, and we just found out the true number of left-handed people. It's about 12% of the population, and the reason why we found out that true number was because left-handed people, they were no longer demonized. Now, we're in that 1920 to 1940 period right now for LGBTQ plus people. As more and more people feel comfortable being themselves, the numbers will go up, but eventually it will plateau and we'll find out the true number of LGBTQ plus people to suggest, and he was being facetious here, but to suggest that at the rate we're going, everyone will be gay by 2050 or something. I mean, to say that you, you, you're stupid and he's saying this being half serious, but he knows that right wingers have made this argument, but unironically. So he's pandering to them once again. So, obviously, it's the case that people are going to come out if it's no longer demonized, if being trans or gay isn't as stigmatized. But Bill Maher plays dumb here because he wants to appeal to his reactionary audience. Here's another clip. And it's okay to ask questions about something that's very new and involves children. The answer can't always be that anyone from a marginalized community is automatically right. Trump card, mic drop, end of discussion. Because we're literally experimenting on children. Maybe that's why Sweden and Finland have stopped giving puberty blockers to kids. Because we just don't know much about the long-term effects. Although common sense should tell you that when you reverse the course of raging hormones, there's going to be problems. We do know it hinders the development of bone density, which is kind of important if you like having a skeleton. Fertility and the ability to have an orgasm seem also to be affected. This isn't just a lifestyle decision, it's medical. Weighing trade-offs is not bigotry. Yet when a book questioning the sudden uptick in transitioning children was released, a trans lawyer with the ACLU named Chase Strangio tweeted, stopping the circulation of this book and these ideas is 100% a hill I will die on. How very civil liberties of him Chase, by the way, has just been named one of the grand marshals of this year's New York City Pride March, along with three other trans people and a lesbian. Huh, what's missing here? Oh, right, a gay man. <laughs> That's where we are now. Gay men aren't hip enough for the gay pride parade. 
Now, I could be wrong, but I actually thought that Chase Strangio was a gay man. In fact, he tweeted out, I have a lot of reactions to the Bill Maher segment, but why does he assume I am not a gay man? Yeah, and the reason why Bill Maher is, again, probably playing dumb here is because... I mean, there's a deliberate reason for this. It's inconceivable to him and transphobes that if you are, a, you know, a trans man or a trans woman, you could be attracted to the same gender because in their view, trans identity doesn't necessarily exist. Someone who is trans is just really, really gay in their opinion. So if you're, for example, born with a penis and you transition and you become a woman, well, that's because you're just more gay than gay men, than cis gay men in their view. So, you know, of course, you're going to opt for men. But the thing is that actually in the trans community, there are a lot of gay people. A lot of gay people. But the reason why they say this, and J.K. Rowling says this as well, is to basically delegitimize the existence of trans people. Maybe you're not trans, maybe you're just gay. And he says this pretty explicitly. For example... Maybe the boy who thinks he's a girl is just gay. <laughs> or whatever Fraser was. Yeah, so the argument is, you're not really trans, you're just super gay. Except that's not how things work. I knew that I was gay from a very young age, probably the age of five. Like, I didn't know that I was gay, but looking back, I can remember, oh, okay, that was me acknowledging my identity back then. But I never had an issue with gender identity. I had an issue with my sexual orientation, right? Or I didn't have the issue myself per se, but society had an issue with that. But what transphobes want to do is muddy the waters and blend gender dysphoria and, you know, uh, gender identity and sexual orientation. But these are different things. Just because somebody is trans doesn't mean that they can't be attracted to their same gender. But the reason why people like Bill Maher do this is to delegitimize trans existence. Now, uh, he also said that Finland and Sweden banned puberty blockers. Now, we can look to Finland and Sweden for a lot of things. I love that they have more worker protections, a higher uh, social safety net. I like that they have healthcare for everyone. But just because they get a lot of things right doesn't mean that they're incapable of getting things wrong. And in this instance, they got it really, really wrong. Giving puberty blockers to your child, you know, having your kid socially transition, this is a decision that is made with the child, their doctor, and the parent. And not everyone is going to choose to make this choice for their child. Not every child who's trans or gender nonconforming will want to actually do this. But it's really important that they have that choice. And, and it's astonishing that I have to explain this when we're all talking about the pro-choice argument again. This is a decision that is made between the kid, the parent, and their doctors. Now, to suggest that puberty blockers should be banned across the board, he says, well, look, there are side effects. And he's correct. There are some long-term side effects, but he's not looking at the entire picture. So the Mayo Clinic explains that side effects include weight gain, headaches, there's other potential side effects with respect to fertility issues, but there are positives. It could improve mental well-being, reduce depression and anxiety, and even reduce thoughts or actions related to self-harm. And in order to get puberty blockers, an adolescent must have a history of intense gender dysphoria. So you're not just going to go into a doctor on a Tuesday and say, hey, my kid just said they're transgender. Where's the puberty blockers? That's not what's actually happening. It is a very complex thing. And there's history there. There's medical history. There's, you know, um, therapy sessions involved. This is a complicated thing that a doctor, a parent, and a child is going to agree upon. But Bill Maher is saying you should take away that choice. And to really show you that he's transphobic, it, you know, it stems from the fact that he's not worried about other 
really, you know, potential side effects to other medications that young people are prescribed. For example, when I was young, I was prescribed Prozac because I had a severe case of obsessive compulsive disorder. I was diagnosed when I was five years old and my parents didn't really even consider giving me medicine until I was an adolescent because that's when it really got bad and it was debilitating. Like I couldn't live a normal life literally. So my parents decided to seek out medication. Now there are side effects with these types of medications. In fact, you know, my family, they gave my parents hell because they were giving me Prozac at a young age. And you know, one of the Columbine shooters apparently was on Prozac. I'm not sure if this is true, but this is what they said. And so they thought, oh my God, you're giving him this medication. It's gonna turn him into a violent animal. He's gonna do a school shooting. Why would you do this to him? And you know, it's because my parents, they weighed out the pros and cons with my doctor and myself. My parents thought, you know what, there are potential side effects, but I think that the pros outweigh the cons. And my dad was never someone who wanted to give me medication. I mean, at a young age, he told me that he believed that I was actually faking having OCD. He said that it's all in my head and I was doing it for attention. I heard these conversations with my mom, but when he saw, when I was like the age of uh, like 10, 11, 12, that I couldn't live life literally, like I couldn't leave home, my OCD was that crippling and debilitating, he thought, okay, it's clear that this is not an act. He's not doing this to himself. He's miserable. He's a shell of his former self. So as a parent, I'm gonna intervene and I wanna protect my child. So my parents made that decision and I'm glad that they did because that decision drastically reduced my obsessive compulsive disorder. And I basically was able to live a relatively normal life by the time I was 15 or 16. But if my parents couldn't make that decision, I don't know how I would have been at this point today where my obsessive compulsive disorder exists, but it's more manageable. Uh, I don't know. I'm, perhaps that trajectory uh, would have been the same regardless, but I'm not sure. But I'm really thankful that my parents were able to make that decision. But Bill Maher is implying here, we should take that decision away from parents with trans kids. They're the only ones who I think the cons outweigh the pros when it comes to medication that they could potentially be prescribed except you don't know their situation maybe the medical side effects the physical side effects aren't as bad as the mental agony that they're in because they're forced to live as a gender that they do not identify as maybe the risk of suicide is so high that parents think i don't care about the side effects medical intervention right now is necessary to save my child's life it is a deeply, deeply personal thing that should be left up to doctors and patients. And Bill Maher is saying, nope, I want to take away that choice just for trans people. I don't care about the other medications that kids and adolescents are prescribed. Just when it comes to trans people, puberty blockers, that's like the worst thing. This is bigotry. It is deeply, deeply rooted in bigotry. Now, I've got one more clip that I want to show you. So um, he's going to push an argument that uh, right wing conservatives and turfs have made that I've talked about on this channel, but now he's saying it when I think he probably knows better. Yes, part of the rise in LGBT numbers is from people feeling free enough to tell it to a pollster and that's all to the good. But some of it is, it's trendy. Penis equals man, okay, boomer. <laughs> Remember, the prime directive of every teen is anything to shock and challenge the squares who brought you up. It's why nobody gets a nose ring at 56. <clears throat> and if you haven't noticed that with kids doing something for the likes, 
is more important than their own genitals, you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> Dr. Erica Anderson is a prominent 71-year-old clinical psychologist who is herself transgender and who now says, I think it's gone too far. The LA Times summarizes, she's come to believe that some children identifying as trans are falling under the influence of their peers and social media. If you attend a small dinner party of typically very liberal upper-income Angelinos, it is not uncommon to hear parents who each have a trans kid having a conversation about that. What are the odds of that happening in Youngstown, Ohio? If this spike in trans children is all natural, why is it regional? Either Ohio is shaming them or California is creating them. <laughs> it, it's like that day we suddenly all needed bottled water all the time. <laughs> if we can't admit that in certain enclaves there is some level of trendiness to the idea of being anything other than straight, then this is not a serious science-based discussion. It's a blow being struck in the culture wars using children as cannon fodder. Okay, first of all, who's pushing this as a culture war issue, Bill? Gender-affirming care for trans youth is something that has existed basically everywhere in this country for quite some time until conservatives decided to make this an issue and start banning it in various states. And they're the ones using kids as a political football, as political fodder, not the parents who are seeking out care for their trans children. The fact that he said that is so disgusting. Now, also, you know, oh, if there's less trans kids in Ohio than there are in California, I mean, is it trendy? I mean, culture varies. Some states are going to be more accepting than other states. The fact that he would say this, but also concede the fact that, well, you know, societal acceptance also is going to weigh in here. It shows you that he knows better and he's just being deceitful, purposefully so. He's being purposefully obtuse to appease his right-wing audience, and it's really disgusting to see. Now, finally, um, he makes this claim that is so infuriating because he says it's trendy, right? He even cites a trans psychologist who says, look, we've gone too far. Okay, listen, if you're gonna make this argument, JK Rowling makes this argument. Other people have made this argument on the right. If you're going to make this argument, what do you have to prove? You have to provide us with evidence that there is a very high rate of detransitions. If it's trendy, then you're going to see a lot of detransitions. So what is the detransition rate? Well, luckily for us, a new study was just released at the beginning of this month. As the New York Times explains, young children who transition to a new gender with social changes, taking on new names, pronouns, haircuts, and clothing, are likely to continue identifying as that gender five years later, according to a report published on Wednesday, the first study of its kind. The data come from the Trans Youth Project, a well-known effort following 317 children across the United States and Canada who underwent a so-called social transition between ages 3 and 12. Participants transitioned on average at the age of 6.5. The vast majority of the group still identified with their new gender five years later, according to the study, and many had begun hormonal medications in adolescence to prompt biological changes to align with their gender identities. The study found that 2.5% of the group had reverted to identifying as the gender they were assigned at birth. In other words, the overwhelming majority of trans children in the first long-term study like this, they are trans. It's not a trend. The detransition rate is 2.5%. 2.5%. So where's the rampant detransitions that suggest that this is trendy? How many children grow out of being trans?
who showed signs when they were very young. If you talk to adult trans people, they say they showed signs at a very young age, sometimes the ages of two or three. So Bill Maher is saying, wow, it's trendy. Maybe it's societal, maybe it's innate in some instances, but you've got to admit there's a portion of it that's trendy. Okay, let's just claim that the 2.5% who detransitioned are doing it because of trendiness. Well, it doesn't seem like a very rampant issue. It seems like it's statistically insignificant. And to even say that it's trendy is incredibly stupid because trans people currently are fighting to survive. It is demonized in every state, even blue states. I mean, it's not necessarily uh, going to be stigma-free stigma if you come out as trans. So how is it trendy? I mean, to say this is incredibly out of touch and stupid. Like, you don't know what trans people go through, but yet you say this. But Bill Maher, he knows better. And yet he still says this anyway, because he's too far gone now. When you're rich and you're out of touch and you surround yourself with people who just affirm your bad beliefs, then yeah, that's going to happen. And he had like Adam Carolla on the panel with him, who is a massive conservative. So, you know, this is Bill Maher now. He's knowingly lying at the behest of his right wing pals just so he can score some brownie points with them, I guess. I mean, I don't know why he's doing this either way. It's disgusting. And he knows he's lying. And, you know, I, I hope that he can live with himself because what he's doing is demonizing an entire community that currently is just fighting to survive. But the right is making that really, really difficult. In Texas, for example, any parent who seeks out gender affirming care for their child is going to be investigated as if they're child abusers. You know, Bill Maher could focus on that, but instead he's focusing on the trendy trans people who transition and detransition all the time as, as if this is some sort of a widespread phenomenon. No, it's uh, it's disappointing, but not surprising for Bill Maher at this point. It is truly astonishing to me that we have an insurrectionist on the Supreme Court whose wife literally worked with the people on January 6th to illegally overthrow democracy in this country. And people are mostly just like, man, that's crazy. But what are you going to do? I mean, this is the sad state of affairs in the United States, even if. It's impossible to him impeach him, even if getting him to resign by exerting pressure on him is a near impossibility. Are we just not going to try? Are we not going to even hold up this facade as if there is accountability or checks and balances in government anymore? Is it just all are we just done pretending? Seems like we're just done pretending. Now, um, the plot thickens when it comes to Jeannie Thomas, uh, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, because we learned that she put pressure on Arizona lawmakers to get them to send their own rogue electors to the Electoral College in 2020 and just override the will of voters in that state. Yeah, this happened. There's an actual email. You could look at that right here. But let's go to the article for a more comprehensive breakdown. Brett Wilkins of Common Dreams explains, Democracy defenders expressed anger and consternation Friday after the Washington Post revealed that Ginny Thomas, the right-wing activist and wife of Associate U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, pushed Arizona lawmakers to invoke a dubious legal theory advocated by her husband in order to help then-President Donald Trump reverse his 2020 presidential election loss. Emails obtained 
by the Post show that Ginny Thomas emailed Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers and State Representative Shauna Bullock, who advocates empowering legislators to void the will of voters, urging them to disregard President Joe Biden's victory and replace the state's electors with a clean slate. Echoing the big lie that Democrats rigged the 2020 contest, Thomas, who also sent numerous emails to Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, urging him to push to overturn the election, implored the lawmakers to do your constitutional duty by using their power to fight back against fraud. A later audit of Arizona's election that Trump supporters said would prove it was stolen concluded there was no fraud and that Biden actually won the state by more votes than the official count. Thomas told the Arizona lawmakers that the power to choose electors was yours and yours alone, an apparent reference to independent state legislature theory. The Brennan Center for Justice describes ISLT as a baseless concept making the rounds in conservative legal circles that posits congressional elections can only be regulated by a state's lawmakers, not its judiciary or even its constitution. Now, just in case any right-wingers are watching and they want to accuse me or this article of manipulating Ginny Thomas's words, here it is right up on the screen. You can see it straight from the horse's mouth. She was literally pressuring lawmakers to replace their state's electors with rogue electors. Now, there are still people who maintain that it doesn't necessarily matter what Ginny Thomas does because Ginny Thomas isn't on the Supreme Court. Clarence Thomas is. Except, one, that's incredibly naive, and two, Clarence Thomas agrees with his wife, and we know that because he was the one vote on the Supreme Court that said the White House doesn't have to turn over documents related to January 6th. Now, I wonder why he would make this vote. Could it possibly be that he knew what his wife was up to and he agreed with her and he wanted to hide what they were doing behind the scenes, trying to kill democracy? And yet he's going to still be on the Supreme Court. There's really not many calls for him to resign. There's no formal impeachment proceedings underway. He's just he's just going to be on the Supreme Court. And we're just like, oh, OK, I guess that's just the way that it is. Why? Why is it this way? If you can't hold public officials who are openly corrupt, openly plotting to overturn democracy accountable, then none of our institutions matter. And this is why the American people have so little faith in institutions, because elites can basically do anything. I mean, they could, they could literally do anything. Plot to steal an election away and nothing happens. Nobody gets fired. Nobody gets jailed. Nobody gets prosecuted. They just do it out in the open and then we just move on. We forget about it until a more egregious crime is committed and not prosecuted. And then we we kind of like focus on that one. And I've got to say, this kind of proves why we have to get rid of the Electoral College, because now Republicans go to strategy to steal elections away, quite literally, is to just override the will of voters in their state. So that way, if, you know, their state's results doesn't go the way that they want it, they just send in their own rogue electors to do that. They're already laying the groundwork for this legally to do this in states, right? But the problem is that, you know, Democrats would never seriously consider getting rid of the Electoral College. And honestly, what's sad is that the only way that we could fe uh, feasibly have the situation where the uh, Electoral College is abolished is if a Republican candidate somehow won the popular vote but still lost the Electoral College vote. Like, that's the only way it would get done because Republicans would actually do something about it, whereas Democrats can get fucked over time and again, and it's just like, man, shucks. We're just gonna have to get them next time, folks. Now, I wanna get to some reactions regarding this news story about Ginny Thomas. Slate's Mark Joseph Stern responded to the news by saying the conflict of interest between Ginny and Clarence Thomas has never been greater. While Clarence was applying the independent state legislature doctrine from the bench, Ginny was using the exact same theory to try to overturn the 2020 election just breathtaking corruption. He adds Clarence Thomas's continued service on the Supreme Court is a 
scandalous and appalling breach of judicial ethics. He is implementing the exact same theories that his wife used to try to steal the 2020 election for Trump. It is sordid, corrupt, and lawless in the extreme. Max Burns argues you can argue a lot of things about 2020, but the fact that a former president, a Supreme Court justice's wife, and other prominent Republicans actively encouraged state GOP officials to outright falsify an election should be a 24-7 media story. Yeah, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. You know, people at this point, they'll probably see this story and they'll think, yeah, that's Jenny Thomas. She's bad, right? But force yourself to never become accustomed to this kind of news story. Force yourself to continue to be outraged because this is an outrageous story. It is unacceptable that a wife of the Supreme Court justice is trying to use this weird theory to kill democracy. I mean, that's that's not an actual legal theory. That's just you making the case against democracy and for authoritarianism. So, you know, if people get normalized to this, which, I mean, you know, um, public officials skirting accountability is a common phenomenon in the United States, then, you know, democracy will continue to crumble. And this is just another story where we're going to see the, the headlines, we're going to see the email that she sent and acknowledge that it's bad, but we're just going to move on and largely think, man, I wish something could be done. If you are a member of Congress and you see this news and you're outraged, it is your responsibility to raise the salience of this issue to make sure there are impeachment proceedings. There are uh, calls for him to resign because this is not okay. You can't have a member of the highest court in the land advocating against democracy. That's just, it's unacceptable. And not just advocating for it, actually having his wife try to execute the end of democracy in the United States. That's not okay. So everyone needs to, you know, play their part in in power in dc but you know i feel like most of them are just kind of shrugging like all of us because they know nothing will happen well this is how democracy dies then you know when people just give up because the institutions they know that they're, they're not going to be conducive to accountability so everyone just says fuck it collectively and shrugs Anti-Palestinian super PACs have been pumping millions and millions and millions of dollars into Democratic Party primaries across the country in an effort to crush progressives. Now, they're not always successful. For example, last week in the 12th Congressional District of Pennsylvania, Summer Lee won even though they spent millions of dollars trying to boost her opponent, Steve Irwin, who's a corporate Democrat. Now, they've also been pumping a lot of money into the race in the 28th Congressional District in Texas between Henry Cuellar and Jessica Cisneros, and we'll find out if that is going to pay off because that primary actually takes place tonight. So be sure to stay tuned for our video on that. But what they're doing is they're trying to kill progressives who might be sympathetic towards Palestinians and who would speak out against the apartheid of the Israeli government. And it's just, it's essentially leading to this climate in politics where you either have to be pro-Israel vehemently so and unapologetically so, or you have to shut your mouth. And that's just not acceptable. So Bernie Sanders knows this, and he's actually speaking out against these super PACs, and he's declaring war on them, essentially. So he's not only calling out all the money that they're spending and the effect that that's having, but he's also spotlighting their hypocrisy here. So as Shane Goldmacher of the New York Times explains, this is a war, Mr. Sanders said in an interview, for the future of the Democratic Party. APAC has long been a bipartisan organization, and its entry this year into direct political spending has included giving to both Democrats and 
and Republicans that has earned the ire of Mr. Sanders and other progressives because the group's super PAC has also run ads attacking Ms. Lee as an insufficiently loyal Democrat. Quote, why would an organization go around criticizing someone like Summer Lee for not being a strong enough Democrat when they themselves have endorsed extreme right-wing Republicans, Mr. Sanders said. In my view, their goal is to create a two-party system, Democrats and Republicans, in which both parties are responsive to the needs of corporate America and the billionaire class. Mr. Sanders specifically called out the committee for donating to congressional Republicans who refused to certify the 2020 election, while its super PAC, the United Democracy Project, has framed itself as a pro-democracy group. That just exposes the hypocrisy, Mr. Sanders said. Yeah, and that really tells you all that you need to know. They're running these attack ads on progressives saying, oh, well, they're not real Democrats. They're not loyal enough Democrats. Meanwhile, they're funding insurrectionists. Yeah. So they don't actually care about the substance in these races. They're choosing to get involved with people who will carry out their agenda. And it's not just a pro-Israel agenda, but that's a large part of it. They want to make sure that they bully people into compliance. So anyone who might be sympathetic to the BDS movement or who might dare condemn the war crimes that Israel's government is committing against the Palestinian people, they don't get into Congress. And the reason why they're ramping up their effort is because back in 2021, when Israel had another incursion into Gaza and slaughtered hundreds of people, well, you saw many members of Congress, for the first time that I can remember, actually condemning it, calling it what it is, an apartheid war criminal regime. And this is, uh, you know, Rashida Tlaib, a Palestinian-American who, who, who said this, Ilhan Omar, uh, Ayanna Presley, Cori Bush, AOC. So they know that if more people who get elected say this and tell the truth about the situation, then the U.S. government perhaps might feel a little bit more pressure to not support Israel in what they're doing, to not give them weapons that they will use to slaughter innocent civilians with impunity. But if you don't comply with these apartheid apologists, then they're going to spend millions and millions of dollars against you. So it creates this incentive to where you really, if you don't want all this money spent against you and you want to get elected to Congress and do good things, you kind of have to be quiet about Israel-Palestine. You can't vocalize support for the human rights of Palestinian people. Otherwise, these packs will come after you. This is what happened with Nina Turner and Chantel Brown. And twice, these packs spent overwhelmingly in favor of Chantel Brown, who's pro-apartheid. And Nina Turner, you know, she wasn't like the loudest defender of Palestinian human rights on the planet, right? But she just had the correct position on this particular stance. But that wasn't enough. Even just quietly signaling support for the human rights of human beings gets millions of dollars spent against you. So there's this incentive for progressives to just be bad on this issue. I mean, John Fetterman, for example, he won the uh, Democratic Party primary in the uh, Pennsylvania Senate race. And he did this by, you know, being bad when it comes to the issue of Israel-Palestine. Now, he's good on a lot of other issues, not every issue. He's also bad on fracking, but he didn't get this money spent against him because he pledged his allegiance to all of these pacts. He pledged his allegiance to a foreign government and said all of the war crimes that they're committing, I'm not going to speak up. And I may even support it, right? So that's what you have to do. And it's sickening. It's absolutely sickening 
that lawmakers or people running for Congress are bullied into silence when they should be speaking up the loudest in favor of human rights. Now, you know, the um, leader of one of these groups, DMFI, Democratic Majority for Israel, Mark Melman, he responded to Bernie Sanders' criticism here, and what he says is so condescending because he knows he has all the power. This is what he says here. I understand Senator Sanders' grudge against us, said Mark Melman, the president of Democratic Majority for Israel PAC. We helped prevent him from winning Iowa and the presidential nomination. Then we helped stop his campaign chair from winning a house race in Cleveland. Honestly, I wouldn't be happy with us either if I were him. So understand what he's saying. Yeah, we know that you don't like us because we're trying to crush progressives, but what are you going to do about it? You don't like it? Tough shit. We're going to keep doing it. Fuck you. Now, it's interesting because if they um, see anyone who condemns the actions of the Israeli government, they call that anti-Semitism. But with Bernie Sanders, they can't say that because Bernie Sanders is a Jewish man. So it'd be absurd to say that he's anti-Semitic. But here they are attacking a Jewish man, saying, we helped you lose. I know why you hold a grudge, and I would hold a grudge too if I were you. I mean, if I were dishonest, I would say, well, doesn't that seem anti-Semitic? But it doesn't seem anti-Semitic. It's all about politics, right? But I mean, if you wanted to actually be a deceitful person, you could claim that this group is actually anti-Semitic for attacking the most prominent Jewish senator in America. But nobody on the left is making that argument because it's absurd. But that doesn't stop them from crying anti-Semitism whenever somebody condemns the actions of the Israeli government. It's absurd. Now, when it comes to APAC and DMFI, this is really a microcosm of a bigger issue and Bernie Sanders acknowledges that. It's not just that they spend a lot of money to crush progressives, it's that all of these super PACs have so much power and influence that our democracy is dying because of their influence. He adds, Mr. Sanders also railed against the crypto billionaires who are pouring money into Democratic primaries, including more than 11 million into a single house seat in Oregon. Outrageous, he said. In a letter this week to Jamie Harrison, the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, Mr. Sanders urged the party to reject super PAC spending more broadly, at least in primaries. What we have to do is not just talk the talk, we've got to walk the walk, he said. And he's absolutely correct. But, you know, this isn't going to make a difference unfortunately, because the DNC chairman, Jamie Harrison, doesn't give a shit. In fact, he agrees with these PACs, probably. So, you know, this is why it's impossible to get anything done, because our entire government has been captured by special interests. And certainly it's important to highlight the way that these pro-Israel groups are spending lots of money to defeat progressives, but if it wasn't them, it'd be some other industry who's trying to defeat progressives the fossil fuel industry they are trying to do that the healthcare industry they're definitely trying to do that so you know until we get campaign finance reform then this is going to be the norm in this country but the problem is that how do you convince a government who's been bought and paid for to do reforms that would make them unbought right how do you how do you do that we see the effect that this is having on our democracy. A 2014 Princeton University study by Drs. Gillens and Page found that normal Americans have a statistically insignificant impact on policy outcomes, whereas business elites and special interests, they actually dictate what gets passed and what doesn't get passed because guess what? They hold all the cards. And when I say cards, I'm talking about money. So, you know, I'm glad that Bernie Sanders is speaking up, but unless more lawmakers speak up, then nothing is going to change. And even if everyone spoke up, it probably still wouldn't change because that's the climate of U.S. politics. Our institutions are fundamentally broken and corrupt to their core, but still there needs to be more focus on this so at least the American people understand who's pulling the levers of Congress. It's not these politicians individually. It's the special interests. 
the anti-Palestinian lobby, the oil and gas industry, the healthcare industry. That's really important. And unless people understand that, they will not know why things are so broken in the United States. Another mass shooting has happened in the United States of America, this time at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, where 14 children were shot dead along with a teacher. Now, there are other individuals who were injured. We don't have all of those details yet. Um, there's at least one 10-year-old girl in critical condition at the hospital. And we also don't know how the gun was obtained, what the motive is. But one thing that we know for sure is that not a goddamn thing is going to be done to stop another mass shooting from happening next week and the week after. Because this is just what we've become accustomed to in the United States, where if you're at school, you can be shot dead at any time. If you're at a grocery store, a gunman can walk in and open fire on you. And it just will keep happening. And there's no amount of deaths that will actually galvanize the government, specifically the Republican Party, to act. But yet they're going to feign outrage over this thing that they allowed to happen to students again. And it's just, it's nauseating to, to report on this. Now, what little information that we have, I'm going to give it to you. This is courtesy of the New York Times. A gunman walked into an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas on Tuesday afternoon and killed 14 children and a teacher, Governor Greg Abbott said at a news conference on Tuesday. Police are believed to have killed the gunman. The assailant was an 18-year-old man who abandoned his vehicle and entered the school with a handgun and possibly a rifle, Mr. Abbott said. He shot and killed horrifically incomprehensibly 14 students and killed a teacher, Mr. Abbott said. Two children who were killed had died by the time they arrived at Uvalde Memorial Hospital. Adam Apollinaire, the hospital's chief operating officer, said earlier in the afternoon, their ages were not immediately released. It's heartbreaking. And, you know, even though we expect this to happen in the United States, it doesn't make it any easier. It just, it keeps happening. And before you can even process the current mass shooting or the last mass shooting, there's this looming dread knowing that this is going to happen probably next week. Again, who knows where it's going to be at? Perhaps, you know, another elementary school grocery store again. We don't know. But this is life in the United States of America. And I just want to stress to all of my non-American viewers, if you're wondering, maybe this is going to be, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. There is no straw that broke the camel's back. This is going to keep happening and nothing will happen. And I tweeted about this and it's pretty cynical, but it's accurate. There could be a thousand kids shot dead and still Republicans will not even do the most basic gun control. Now, again, we don't know the details. We don't know how the gun was obtained. But as I said earlier, not to sound like a broken record, we all know that nothing's going to come of this. It's just going to keep happening. This is life in the United States of America. We have a party that will turn women into second-class citizens to protect zygotes. But when it comes to stopping children from being slaughtered at schools, fuck it. Thoughts and prayers. In fact, that's literally the response. Ted Cruz, the senator who represents the state, tweeted out, Heidi and I are fervently lifting up in prayer the children and families in the horrific shooting in Uvalde. We are in close contact with local officials, but the precise details are still unfolding. Thank you to heroic law enforcement and first responders for acting so swiftly. Yeah, Nina Turner had the best response. 
to this, she replied by saying, well, you're thanking them for acting swiftly, but when are you going to act swiftly? I mean, take those thoughts and prayers and shove them up your asshole, Ted Cruz. Do you think that your thoughts and prayers is going to make any of these parents feel better or bring back those lives? What matters is action. Doing something to stop this. So go fuck yourself. How dare you speak right now? You should be afraid to show your face after you've been one of the individuals who's blocking this. And as Brian Tyler Cohen points out, this is Tony Gonzalez, who represents the district that contains the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, that just got shot up. Here's a couple of tweets from him. I voted no on two gun control measures in the House today. I am a proud supporter of the Second Amendment and will do everything I can to oppose gun grabs from the far left. He also writes, the radical left wants to take away your guns, not on my watch, proud to defend your Second Amendment. Well, thank God we have people there to defend our Second Amendment rights. If only, you know, our right to just exist, if children's right to not be slaughtered in schools was a thing you'd defend, that'd be really fucking great, but not in the United States of America. This is a country that has a very, very sick culture, and we have one of two political parties that is effectively a death cult at this point. I mean, we just passed a million COVID deaths, and nobody even talks about that. So, death is just something that Americans have grown accustomed to, not just with this, but with Healthcare. Thousands of Americans die every single year because they don't have basic access to healthcare. People are sleeping on the streets and dying due to hunger in this country. And that's just the way it is in the United States of America. A sick, disgusting, perverted culture that we have that allows this. So I don't have really anything to add. Uh, I just wanted to talk about this and share my immediate thoughts. I usually don't react to mass shootings, but it just feels like, I don't know. I wanted to share my immediate thoughts because sometimes the way that people react to tragic news stories uh, in, in a good way is like listening to other people and maybe that helps them process what's happening. Maybe this will help you process. I, I'm not really sure. Maybe, you know, this is therapeutic for me to get on camera and talk about it. I'm not necessarily sure, but this happened again. Nobody's surprised and nothing will be done to stop gun violence in the United States. And it's just, it's a sad state of affairs, but this is what we've grown accustomed to. You probably haven't heard about this, but last Friday, a two-day event wrapped in Hungary and this was CPAC Hungary. Now, you likely haven't heard about this event because a lot of media outlets were not allowed to attend. We're talking about American media outlets like Vox, AP, Rolling Stone, although some did get access, such as CBS News, so it seemed relatively arbitrary, but if you know any, anything about Viktor Orban, well, he is very, very authoritarian, and he cracks down on freedom of the press. Now, what's interesting is that this was essentially a conference on how to become an authoritarian. It was like an authoritarianism one-on-one -on -one class with Viktor Orban as the keynote speaker, obviously. And that really shouldn't surprise anyone who knows a thing or two about Viktor Orban. But what should be startling to Americans is the fact that you have American conservative leaders here at this event not only endorsing this message, essentially, but speaking at this very event. Now, the event laid out the blueprint as to how you can crush democracy in your country 
And it really stems from your ability and power to stifle the media. So this is something that uh, I've talked about on the show about the encroaching authoritarianism that we see in this country stemming from the GOP. But this conference right here and the, the attendance of the conservative thought leader in America, Tucker Carlson, and its political leader, Donald Trump, should startle everyone who cares about democracy, including conservatives, too. So Alex Griffin of Mediaite explains, Orban, who gave the keynote address at CPAC Hungary on Thursday, has stifled freedom of the press during his 12 years in power. Orban won re-election to a fourth consecutive term in April, making him the longest-serving leader in the EU and the candidate he defeated, who was supported by every opposition party in the country complained during the campaign he was allowed only five minutes on public television to state his case against Orban. Orban spoke openly about the importance of controlling the media while addressing CPAC and encouraged the Americans and right-wing European leaders in attendance to follow his path. Have your own media. It's the only way to point out the insanity of the progressive left, Orban told his audience. We have to take back the institutions in Washington and Brussels. We must find allies in one another and coordinate the movements of our troops, he added. Orban's comments, coupled with his domestic crackdown on critics, should serve as a warning for every American that CPAC is moving away from the First Amendment and has little use for public debate or freedom of the press. Orban went on to praise Fox News' Tucker Carlson, who has broadcast his show before from Budapest and who introduced Orban with a short video message to the conference. Of course, the GOP has its media allies, but they can't compete with the mainstream liberal media. My friend Tucker Carlson is the only one who puts himself out there, Orban added. His show is the most popular. What does it mean? It means programs like his should be broadcasted day and night, or as you say, 24-7. So you have the most popular news broadcaster in the country, in America introducing this authoritarian leader in Hungary. You have Donald Trump at this event talking about how wonderful Viktor Orban is and how close they are. I need you to just try to grapple with the implications of this. You have Tucker Carlson selling his viewers on the things that Orban espouses, such as the Great Replacement Theory. Viktor Orban believes this, says it all the time. Part of his shtick is racial antagonism and cracking down on marginalized communities, not just LGBTQ plus people, but Jewish people as well. And, you know, Donald Trump could very well become the president again in 2024. And at this specific event, they were talking about how to crush democracy and silence the media. Was Trump taking notes? Was Trump honestly like there trying to soak all of this in? Assuming he gets elected again, you know, thinking about how he's going to carry this all out, it's um, it's it's startling. But in order to understand why Viktor Orban is so bad, it stems from the way he was able to consolidate power. And he did this by effectively weaponizing hate. Orban took his oath of office a few days before addressing the conference and echoed the controversial replacement theory linked to deadly mass shooting across the United States from El Paso to Pittsburgh to most recently Buffalo. Echoing another popular theme on the American right, he argued that another form of cultural suicide was gender badness, a reference to the spread of LGBTQ plus rights in the West, reported The Guardian last week. Attacking the LGBTQ plus community in Hungary has been a key ingredient of Orban's rise to power and his Christian nationalist 
policies. Freedom House explains further the details of Hungary's anti-LGBTQ policies, which bear a striking resemblance to the recent legislation passed by Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. A June 2021 law banned the discussion of gender and sexual diversity in schools, the media, advertising, and other public spaces. The legislation, which conflates pedophilia with homosexuality and expressions of gender identity, was challenged by a European Commission infringement procedure in July. The government also initiated a referendum on further limiting LGBT plus representation in education. Scheduled for 2022, the organization notes, previewing the next step of Orban's program to expel LGBTQ teachers from the education system. So the way that Viktor Orban was able to consolidate power and kill democracy in Hungary is the exact same way that Republicans are consolidating power and trying to kill democracy in the United States, and they're even using the same messaging. Viktor Orban is saying, oh, well, we have to ban gender expression and, you know, discussions of sexuality in the classroom because homosexuals are pedophiles. And what do we hear coming from the far right in the United States? Gays are groomers. They're groomers. They want to groom children. I was just called a groomer yesterday in the comment section of my YouTube channel because I defended trans rights. So this is the playbook and they're using it. And it's not just LGBTQ plus people who's the target of Viktor Orban. In fact, a disgusting anti-Semite who called Jewish people stinking excrement was invited to speak at this very event. And Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson, the most prominent leaders in the American conservative movement, are at this event endorsing what he's saying, the ways in which you kill democracy in your country. Just do what I'm doing. And they're listening. It's happening right now. It's happening right now. So um, one last thing that I want to say about CPAC is take a guess as to where the next CPAC is going to be held in June. Just, just guess. In Brazil. Where you have another fascistic leader, Jair Bolsonaro there, who's trying to consolidate power and he's weaponizing hatred in order to become more popular. So I need everyone to understand what we're witnessing, what we're all witnessing around the world. This is very serious. We are witnessing the formation of an international fascist movement. This is the recruitment period. This is them forming alliances based on their fascistic ideology, based on consolidating power, based on killing democracy. And what Viktor Orban did in Hungary can be accomplished in America. They're already executing the blueprints and it's working. If you look at Florida with the Don't Say Gay law, that Ron DeSantis perhaps copied from Viktor Orban, well, it's incredibly popular. Americans are falling for it hook, line, and sinker, including Democrats. So the fascist playbook is literally working. And we're just not talking about this in the United States. If Donald Trump were to become the Republican Party nominee in 2024, which is very likely at this point in time, imagine what he could do. Stop for a second and imagine that he became the Republican Party nominee and lost. Imagine what he'd say. It was stolen from me again. Imagine how much more violence that would catalyze. But imagine if he won and how horrifying that would be. Because he stated before, jokingly, that he wants to run again and again and again. And if you think he was joking, well, I've got news for you. He wasn't. And Donald Trump is too stupid himself to actually pull off any sort of change. He kind of just did it on accident for the most part. He had people around him who were enabling him, who helped execute his agenda, like Mitch McConnell and people in his, his staff. But now he's aligned with Viktor Orban. 
an authoritarian who created a blueprint to turn democracies into illiberal regimes. And now Trump could just copy that. Tucker Carlson, he's taking everything from Viktor Orban and, and sharing it to millions of people, millions and millions of people. Great replacement theory. And guess what? Six in 10 Trump voters actually believe in the core tenant of the great replacement theory. That was from a poll that was just released. So I'm gonna say it again. I don't wanna be redundant, but I think that this really is worth emphasizing. And I don't think that people have processed this yet, but get it through your head. What we are witnessing right now is the formation of a global fascist movement. The American conservative movement is no longer a conservative project. It is an explicitly fascistic project. They are hellbent on killing democracy because that's what we've seen them do, curtailing freedom of speech while claiming they support freedom of speech, claiming to care about democracy while attacking democracy. This is all out of the fascist playbook. If you haven't already, read Jason Stanley's How Fascism Works. We're seeing fascism form right before our very eyes, and currently, we're still in that proto-fascist period. It's starting to transition in the United States where the fascists are becoming more and more violent. But before long, this will be a full-blown, violent, global fascist movement. The time to wake up is right now and acknowledge what's happening. And the fact that people didn't know that this event took place shows that a lot of us are asleep at the wheel. Don't be asleep at the wheel. Understand what's happening and know it's fascism. And don't be afraid to call it what it is. This is fascism. And it's right here in the United States currently. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sit down. You're out of you're out of line and an embarrassment. Sit down and don't play this. No, he needs to get his ass out of here. This isn't the place to talk to so this is totally predictable Sir, you're out of line. Sir, you are out of line. Please leave this auditorium. I can't believe you're a sick son of a bitch that would come to a deal like this to make a political issue. First Amendment, freedom of speech. Freedom of speech, welcome to that. It's on assholes like you. Why don't you get out of here? Freedom of speech, the First Amendment of the Constitution. That was Texas gubernatorial candidate Beto O'Rourke confronting Governor Greg Abbott of Texas at a press event about the mass shooting that he enabled in his state. He did. The blood is on his hands. And I absolutely commend Beto O'Rourke for doing this. Now, if you didn't catch what he was saying, here's part of the transcript here. You are doing nothing, O'Rourke said, only feet away from Abbott. You said this was not predictable. This was totally predictable. And you choose not to do anything. And he also told Abbott, this is on you. And he's absolutely correct about that. He is 
absolutely unquestionably correct. The blood is on the hands of every single Republican lawmaker who enables these psychopaths, who has no gun regulations that allow people to just walk into a store and purchase a firearm, no gun safety required, no background checks. This is on them. And I applaud Beto O'Rourke because what he's doing is really important. Is it political theater? Sure. But is it necessary? Yes, because in a state of uh, politics where you have Democrats not doing anything, not even doing political theater, I think that efforts like this really should be lifted up and appreciated more, even if I have my disagreements with Beto O'Rourke. Now, you know, the Democratic Party has proven that they are absolutely useless. You have some Democrats in the House like Pelosi, Hoyer and Clyburn who are campaigning for the Republican Party effectively. So they've endorsed Henry Cuellar over a progressive woman. And Henry Cuellar is not just anti-choice, but he got an A rating from the NRA and Democrats are sending out robocalls for him. So this individual is, for all intents and purposes, a Republican, but he has a D in front of his name, so Democratic Party leadership is helping him over the progressive who actually wants to take action. So you have some Democrats in bed with the enemy. You have other Democrats who are just like, well, I don't know what to tell you. It's sad. I wish that we could do something. Like, this is literally the sentiment. As Jake Sherman of NBC News reports, Schumer signals no gun bill imminent. Americans can make a choice, Schumer says. Americans can cast their vote in November based on how people stand on guns. Schumer says Republicans can work with Democrats now to craft a bill. He's skeptical, unlikely, burnt in the past. Now, Joe Manchin called for common sense gun reform, and then he also came out against common sense gun reform simultaneously by rejecting the filibuster reform needed to pass common sense gun reform. President Biden said, as a nation, we must ask, when in God's name will we stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name will we do what needs to be done? I'm sick and tired of it. We have to act. You are the fucking president of the United States. You have to act. It's on you. We voted you in office. Now you act. Sign some executive orders. The Supreme Court will likely strike them down, but at least we have a year or two of protection until that happens. Actually call on Congress to take action. Name the bills. Name the people in your party who refuse to do filibuster reform. Joe Biden won't do that because he himself isn't really sure if he wants to do filibuster reform. This is what he said when we learned about the draft leak opinion regarding Roe v. Wade, that he wasn't necessarily sure if he wants to make that determination to get rid of Roe now. So even if it were possible, Joe Biden might not necessarily want to do that. So this is the party who is sitting idly by and letting Republicans destroy our civilization, destroy society. So I absolutely applaud Beto O'Rourke for standing up to these Republicans who allowed our elementary schools to be turned into fucking war zones. Because even if he's just acting, at least that's something. But nowadays, we don't get jack fucking shit. We get nothing. We don't get political theater, no tough talk. I remember the good old days when I would complain about incrementalism, but now we can't even get fucking incrementalist policy. So we get nothing. So if there's any Democrat out there who's just showing a little bit of a sign that they want to fight, a little bit of courage, then that needs to be applauded, even if I disagree with them, even if I think he's wrong on healthcare and other issues and he's too corporatist for me, I think that needs to be applauded. But as disappointing as Democrats are, I mean, at least you've got to hand it to them for living in reality because um, David Neer shared this photo on Twitter of Republicans. This is their collective response. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. It seems like the thoughts and prayers aren't working. I mean, I don't know if you're praying to the wrong God, but whatever the fuck this is, is not acceptable. And if you think that's an abomination, which it is, it's still somehow better 
than the other responses that Republicans are giving where they're not even offering kind words. They're just like, yeah, sorry, this is the way it is. Lauren Boebert tweeted, you cannot legislate away evil. So not even offering thoughts and prayers, just fucking deal with it. This is from a congresswoman. Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted, our nation needs to take a serious look at the state of mental health today. Sometimes meds can be the problem. America is failing our youngest generations from decades of rejecting good moral values and teachings. We don't need more gun control. We need to return to God. So if you want to stop crazy people from getting these guns that they use to slaughter children, then you have to subscribe to my religion. In fact, I have to impose not just my religion, but my theocratic political worldview on all of you. Otherwise, the kids are going to keep dying. So what is it going to be? Theocracy or dead children? This is what we get from elected lawmakers. And then, of course, you have Republicans who don't say as stupid things as that, but they still blame everything but guns. Our prayers and our thoughts are with the families there. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's just a unbelievable evil. And I just, I don't know how someone could actually do something like this. I think, you know, there's going to be all kinds of discussions coming up, unfortunately, you know, in, in the media regarding uh, Second Amendment and regarding uh, the, the, the other issues in, uh, around guns in, in this country. But I think we really need to ask the question, how could something like this happen? How could somebody do something so evil? I mean, what kind of person, what kind of animal can do this? And I think, you know, we... I, I grew up in a small town in West Texas, uh, not too much, uh, not not too much smaller than the, than Uvalde, and I, I could never imagine something like this happening when I grew up. But when I grew up, things were different. You know, there was a focus on family and community and church, and I think that you know we, we knew each other. And and, I, and I'm not saying that the people in Uvalde don't know each other, but I think that that that's been that's been robbed from us. Our, our culture has changed over the last you know 30 or 40 years, and and and, and the, there's been an attack on those on, on those things in particular. And I just think that. Kids are exposed to all kinds of horrible stuff nowadays, too. I look back and I think about the, you know, the horrible stuff that they hear when they listen to rap music, the video games that they watch from a really early age with all of this horrible violence and stuff. And I just think that, you know, and they have this access to the Internet on a regular basis, which is, you know, it's just not good for kids, I don't think. And so I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's rap music, maybe it's video games, but it's definitely not guns. Even though we literally have more guns than people in this country. It's not guns. Let's not talk about guns. Let's just pretend as if it's other issues. Okay, what other issues? Mental health? Let's pass a mental health bill. Republicans have blocked every single attempt to expand not just access to health care, but mental health care as well. So do you actually think it's mental health? Of course not. They're just trying to obfuscate from the reality of the situation. And the reality is that more guns equals more gun deaths. Correlation does equal causation. This has been demonstrated and proven. And there's a reason why we're the one developed country throughout the world where this fucking happens on a weekly basis. Other countries who had mass shootings like the UK, Australia, they took action and then they stopped mass shootings. But all of this happening, every single mass shooting that we see, this is a policy choice. This is something that our lawmakers are allowing to happen. But let's go to Ted Cruz. Maybe he has a more uh, sensible response to this. Spoiler alert, he doesn't, but let's listen. We know from past experience that the most effective tool for keeping kids safe uh, is armed law enforcement on the campus. You know, inevitably, when there's a murder of this kind, uh, you see politicians try to, try to politicize it. Uh, you see Democrats and a lot of folks in the media whose immediate solution is to try to restrict uh, the constitutional rights of law-abiding citizens. That doesn't work. So armed guards and no gun restrictions. Understand how preposterous this is. In response to gun violence due to so many people having guns, they quite literally are saying more guns. That's the answer. 
Except, you know, all of these good guys with guns in this situation, um, oftentimes doesn't really work out. In this case, it didn't really work out. The good guys with guns didn't stop the bad guy with a gun. Sergeant Eric Estrada of the Texas Department of Public Safety tells Anderson Cooper the shooter crashed his car near the school, got out with a gun and wearing body armor, was engaged by law enforcement but made his way into the school anyway and went classroom to classroom shooting. So that's not it either. So what is the solution? God, I wish I could figure it out. Other countries have, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. What's the fucking solution, folks? I think it's evident what the solution is. We just don't want to implement said solution. A ban on assault weapons, a ban on high capacity magazines, universal background checks, mandated gun safety courses before you're allowed to purchase a gun, a gun buyback program so we don't have so many guns in circulation in this country. Just doing that, might help a little it helped in australia right we can just copy what they did but no nothing will happen the republican party at this point is an organized death cult and they have literally decided for all of us that gun ownership unlimited gun ownership is more important than the lives of your children that's what they decided for all of us and we have the democratic party who's just sitting there saying, okay, I guess this is bad, but this is what we have to live with. Vote harder next time, folks. What a horrible society that we live in. Politicians have chosen that we are going to live in this state of barbarity in perpetuity. Politicians have chosen that people in this country are going to continue to die because they don't have basic health care. Politicians in this country have decided for all of us that we're not going to have a habitable planet because they don't want to offend their donors in the fossil fuel industry. So if they've already decided our fate for us and there's nothing that we can do to change it, at a minimum, we have to make them uncomfortable and confront these politicians in the same way that Beto O'Rourke did. We have to disrupt their events. Don't let their propaganda penetrate into normie discourse. If you see a member of your family stating their intent to vote for a Republican, treat that as them admitting that they're going to commit an act of violence indirectly because that is what the situation has devolved into in this country if there are people who are supporting this organized death cult then you have to intervene and stop them at least try to stop them because that's where we're at you have the republican party blocking any and all legislation that would do something maybe put a dent in these mass shootings and then you have democrats who are sitting on their asses doing nothing because they're too afraid to confront these republicans in the way that beto O'Rourke did so look i, I applaud beto for doing this I applaud him for doing this because honestly, this is the bare minimum that you can do. Just have a little bit of courage to confront these ghouls who created this climate in the first place. In the United States, there are so many mass shootings, including at elementary schools, that a lot of us have just become accustomed to it. It's not like when we see the news, it doesn't hurt but it's just an expectation at this point. Mass shootings are just a part of the American way of life. And it's a, it's a sad state of affairs, but sometimes I think it's really important to escape our bubble and listen to people from outside of the United States share their reactions to news about the United States. So I wanna share a TikTok that went viral from a teacher in Ireland. Now he's gonna react to this news as a teacher himself and explain how what we allow to happen in this country is inconceivable to him. Take a look. 
I work in a school in Donegal in Ireland and I have worked in schools for years and I've never once been on my way to work and thought to myself, I hope no one shoots all the kids today. Like imagine having to send your children to school and you're thinking someone might come in and shoot them all. And the maddest thing about what's going on in America and Texas and stuff, it's happened so many times. Like this has happened before and they're still letting it happen. It's just so confusing for all of us people that aren't from America looking in and thinking, how fucking stupid are you people? Like, how are we going to stop all these shootings? Stop giving people guns. Do you know what I mean? It's just really awful and it doesn't seem to happen anywhere else because other countries don't allow guns. So, I don't know. Yeah, and I don't know how much he knows about the United States politics, but with his limited knowledge about the US, he's way more intelligent than any Republican politician in Congress. And I'm not sure if he knows that um, the same people who created this climate where elementary schools are essentially war zones now, they also call themselves pro-life. And they literally are in the process of reducing women to second-class citizenship status just so they can protect fetuses. But actual live human beings, they don't care that they're getting slaughtered. People are dying in this country, tens of thousands every single year because they don't have health care. And they're just like, sorry. I mean, we had a million plus people die due to COVID-19. And we were done with that after like two months. I mean, we are a pro-death culture in this country. And that is because one of two major parties is effectively an organized death cult. That's not saying that Democrats are good. But there is no equivalence there. One is an organized death cult. And the other is a group of cowards who won't fight said organized death cult. But, you know, what people are reacting to around the world is this fact that in the United States, this is a way of life. Mass shootings, unfortunately, are as American as apple pie now. Farron Cousins tweeted out, I dropped my kids off this morning, terrified I may never see them again. They weren't shipping off to war or going on a dangerous expedition in uncharted waters. They were going to elementary school. This is what we've created in America. Fear that our kids will die at school. Exactly. And this is the climate that Republicans have created for all of us they've chosen to impose their will on all of us they've chosen for all of us that barbarity is going to be the norm in the united states they've chosen that unlimited gun ownership is more important than the lives of human beings that's what they've chosen and yet they call themselves pro-life isn't it astonishing now what happened in other countries when they saw a mass shooting let's look at the uk for example as professor christensen explains 26 years ago a gunman entered dunblane primary school in scotland killing 16 kids and a teacher the uk government responded by enacting tight gun control legislation in the 94 hundred plus days since there have been a total of zero school shootings in the uk he adds you may well ask were there mass school shootings before Dunblane? The answer is no, but the fact that UK government took action after one event shows what I consider to be decisive action. Gun control clearly made it less likely to happen again, and that's the whole point. So just stop for a moment. It's not like the UK is perfect, right? But they responded after one mass shooting. They took decisive action after one mass shooting, and here it's been happening for decades. And we're just saying the same things. Oh, it must be uh, video games or violent movies. It's the same thing, and nobody's willing to say, it's the guns. 
It's because we have more guns than people in this country. But, you know, the UK isn't just a one-off. This also happened in Australia. They had a mass shooting, and then guess what they did? They took action. As Dr. Cassidy explains, last year, Australia marked the 25th anniversary of the country's worst mass shooting in which a lone gunman killed 35 people. Within two weeks, Australia enacted swift and strong gun control legislation. What happened? Australia has had no mass shootings since 1996. And again, Australia is not a perfect country. They have their own political problems, but they have a government that at least functions enough to do the bare minimum, whereas our government, it is completely and utterly broken to its core. It can't even do the most basic things for its citizens. And this is what we've been dealing with now for decades. So if anyone who's not an American is wondering, okay, this is another school shooting. Maybe this is going to be the thing that gets lawmakers to finally take action. I promise you it's not. You're going to see some headlines about bipartisan talks, but this is ultimately going to end predictably in nothing being done. And I can say this with confidence because this is what I've seen throughout my entire life. This is what presidents have been responding to throughout my entire life and no action has been taken. For example, take a look at what every single president has said in response to mass shootings. Hillary and I are profoundly shocked, shocked and saddened. saddened by the tragedy today in Littleton. In Southern California. By the news of the shootings at Virginia Tech. Roseburg, Oregon. It's an elementary school in New Newton. In Texas. Parkland, Florida. Michigan. The prayers of the American people are with you. We are praying for them. Laura and I and many across our nation. Our entire nation, with one heavy heart, is praying, praying for, for the, the victims, victims and their families. And, their families. and it's not just Littleton. We know that now. We've had lots and lots and lots of places. We have been through this too many times. Too many years, too many decades now. As I said just a few months ago, and I said a few months before that, and I said each time we see one of these mass shootings, our thoughts and prayers are not enough. Schools should be places of safety and sanctuary and learning. Perhaps now America would wake up to the dimensions of this challenge if it could happen in a place like Littleton and we could prevent anything like this from happening again. Every single president who's alive today has made the same speech in one way or another and it has always amounted to nothing. Every single time. And, you know, it's funny that the same week that this happens, the NRA is holding its annual leadership forum featuring the Republican politicians who created this hellscape for us. But don't worry, the NRA is very sad to hear about this mass shooting that they've enabled. And the irony is that guns are banned at this conference from the NRA. I'm not making this up. Guns are literally banned during Trump's speech. And in 2018, they banned guns altogether at this forum because they refused to subject themselves or Donald Trump to the threat that they subject elementary school children to. But you'd think that if they really believed that a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun, then at the NRA leadership forum, wouldn't there be enough good guys with guns to stop a bad guy with a gun? Well, of course not. They don't believe that. They've created this dystopian hellscape for us to live in, but they don't want to subject themselves to that. So one thing that I want to leave you with is an undeniable fact, and you have to process this information and let it sink in. Understand what it means. Every single mass shooting is a policy choice. Every single time this happens, it is specifically because politicians in the United States of America 
by their unwillingness to act is choosing to let this happen. It is a choice at this point. Do not let them distract you and obfuscate and make it seem as if, oh, it's a lack of mental health or violent video games. We know what this is. It's the guns, stupid. Correlation equals causation in this instance. That's not always the case, but in this instance, more guns do indeed lead to more gun violence. They know it, which is why they oftentimes will prohibit guns at their events. But what's good for uh, them is not good for us. Protections from, you know, guns for me, but not for thee. Yeah, that's the Republican Party in this country. Again, an organized death cult. Herschel Walker was asked about Trump and his lies about the 2020 election. And Herschel Walker answered in a way that is uh, dumb, even by Republican standards. Take a look. One of the things that certainly motivated President Trump in giving endorsements to various candidates has been whether or not they accept uh, his claim that the election was stolen. Do you think the election was stolen? Well, I don't think, I think you, I think reporters say that. I don't know whether President Trump said it, because he never said that to me. I'm not, I'm not Herschel, arguing with he you. says it over and no, over he again, made, No, 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 no. He has never, I've never heard President Trump ever say that. Excuse me? Are you serious right now? Are you seriously with a straight face going to tell me that Donald Trump was purported time and time again that the election was rigged and stolen from him never actually said this are you seriously going to contend that this whole narrative is a media fabrication is that what you're really going to say you know i would say okay maybe he's never spoken to donald trump maybe it's been a while donald trump endorsed him in this race and yet he's saying trump never said that wouldn't trump take offense at you saying that he never said that? It's all he talks about. Wouldn't a normal Republican take offense to you saying that Trump never said this? I mean, this is what they're outraged about. It's why they stormed the Capitol. And you're seriously saying that Trump never said this. He's created his own reality that he's living in. And it's something that worries me, not just because this is someone who might be a US Senator, but because this is an individual who very clearly needs help. But that's not all. So CNN reporter Manu Raju asked him about his stance on gun control legislation because we had another mass shooting take place. His answer here is genuinely just incomprehensible. Hey, Manu Raju with CNN. I know. Are you, do you support any new gun laws in the wake of this Texas shooting? Do you support new gun laws in the wake of this Texas shooting? What I like to do, what I like to do is see it. And, uh, and everything and stuff. I like to see it. You know, a favorite New Jersey channel. He said, in response to a question about policy, and I quote, what I like to do is see it and everything and stuff. I'd like to see it and everything. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, this must have been a really heated primary. His opponent must have came really close, but maybe the name recognition just put him over the edge. No, he won by a landslide. Look at the results here. With more than 68% of the vote, he absolutely crushed his Republican primary opponent, and he sweeped in every single county. This is who Republicans elected. And across the country, they're electing more and more people like this just because, I don't know, he triggers the libs. It's just truly astonishing. 
And it's horrifying because he has a great chance of winning because of name recognition, because we all know how much Republicans love celebrities. They hate celebrities until they come out as conservative. And then it's like, oh, we love conservatives. or We love celebrities rather so much. We want to make them our president and our U.S. senators. Let me remind you that Dr. Oz could also be a U.S. senator. So I, I just I don't know what to say about this, but even local Republicans were freaking out about him because they're saying, OK, he has name recognition. Sure. But he's going to lose the general election because he is one mentally unfit to serve uh, and two. He's just a bad person. So look at an actual ad that his opponent ran against him in the uh, primary. Warning, viewer discretion is advised. Are you thinking about voting for Herschel Walker, the football legend? Wait, before you answer, let us share some things with you. Did you know Herschel's ex-wife accused him of, quote, physically abusive and extremely threatening behavior? That she desperately sought a protective order after Walker threatened to kill her. Did you know Herschel once held a razor to her throat and his ex-wife said he choked her? And quote, he held the gun to my temple and said he was going to blow my brains out. Or that Herschel's mistress told police that Walker threatened to quote, blow her head off. Did you know about the cheerleader who accused Herschel of threatening and stalking her, following her to her home? Or that during one domestic violence call, Herschel Walker threatened a, quote, shootout with police. He threatened to kill women. He threatened to kill cops. After the violence, the abuse, the stalking, the death threats, Herschel Walker still has not been forthright with the people of Georgia. Not about his violent behavior or the threats he has made against women and police. So we have to wonder how many more women are out there and what stories might they tell? Now, ask yourself, are you still thinking about voting for Herschel Walker? Yes. The answer is yes, and overwhelmingly so. So this individual could be a U.S. senator. Republicans just know how to pick them, right? I mean, can't you find someone who has the same set of beliefs or lack thereof, but also doesn't want to kill people? <laughs> Again, it's an organized death cult, and you can't just blame the politicians. You've got to blame the voters here, too. And yes, I said it. I know that a lot of liberals and lefties might cringe at that statement, but there are some some things that you can chalk up to a voter being uninformed, right? This is why money oftentimes determines who wins in a lot of congressional races. But there are some things that are so apparent, so obvious, that... You can't just chalk that up to, oh, these poor voters are just being brainwashed and duped. No, these voters, they're making this choice themselves. They chose to elect Donald Trump, who said, grab him by the pussy, and I don't even wait. They vote for known insurrectionists time and again, despite hearing all of the horrible things that they say. These Republican voters consistently are electing the most extreme and insane people in the country and this is an ongoing trend and there's a lot of reasons why this is the case yes they're uninformed because if they were informed they wouldn't be voting for a republican but it's also them just choosing yeah i want to elect that bad person because they're going to trigger the libs because they're going to talk about how um you know 
the far left is extreme and maybe they want to jail them and do more authoritarianism, uh, they're making the choice on their own volition. It's not just that they're uninformed. So all that I want to leave you with is if you're in uh, Georgia, for the love of God, support Raphael Warnock. Raphael Warnock is a candidate who actually has a core set of beliefs and principles and wants to help people. I don't have a lot of nice things to say about Democrats, but Raphael Warnock is not one of the Democrats who's not acting. He's someone who actually cares about implementing policy. And if voters in Georgia choose Herschel Walker over Raphael Warnock, you can't just chalk this up to uninformed voters who just, they didn't know any better. No, these are adults. You can choose to make yourself informed and stop voting for objectively bad people or you can uh you know keep voting these people in and then complain why the country is uh you know circling the drain so i know that we're all trying to process the last mass shooting in this country assuming that there's not another one between the time that i record this video and upload it to youtube but for a second i want to go back to the previous mass shooting and have this conversation once again about white supremacy because I think this is too important to ignore. Um, so the reason why the gunman chose to go to a black neighborhood and kill those people was because he believed in the great replacement conspiracy theory, which has been pushed and mainstreamed by Fox News and many prominent conservatives. So there's a poll that just came out by Yahoo News and YouGov, and they asked Trump voters, how many of you believe in the core tenet of the Great Replacement Theory? This isn't the actual phrasing, but this is what they were trying to gauge. The number is going to absolutely shake every single person who cares to their core, because it is astonishing to me. As DeHill explains, more than 60% of Americans who voted for former President Trump agree with the core tenet of the Great Replacement Theory, according to a new Yahoo News YouGov poll. The poll published on Tuesday found that 61% of Trump supporters agree with the statement that a group of people in this country are trying to replace native-born Americans with immigrants and people of color who share their political views. 22% of Trump supporters surveyed said they disagreed with the conspiracy theory. Meanwhile, 16 percent of respondents who voted for President Joe Biden said they agree with the statement, while 71 percent said otherwise. 73 percent of Trump supporters agreed with the statement that there is discrimination against white people in the United States, and 18 percent disagreed compared with 20 percent of Biden supporters who agreed and 74 percent who disagreed. 69 percent of respondents who voted for Trump said that they are concerned U.S.-born citizens are losing economic, political, and cultural influence in the country to immigrants, while 30 percent of those who voted for Biden agreed with that statement. Now, we'll talk about the main takeaway from this poll, which is the 61% of Trump supporters that are buying into a white supremacist conspiracy theory, but I have to touch on the 16%, 16% of Biden voters, recent Democratic Party voters, who are agreeing with the core tenant of a white supremacist conspiracy theory. That number shouldn't even be 1%. It should be 0%. But anything more than 1% in the Democratic Party should shock everyone. And it's at 16%. That is not an insignificant number. More than 1 in 10 Biden voters believe in the core tenant of the Great Replacement Theory. What does this tell us? What is the lesson? The lesson is that white supremacist conspiracy theories are very quickly going mainstream enough so even democratic party voters who usually aren't receptive to these types of messages are buying into it and fascism it takes hold because normies get convinced 
that these types of things are actually real. For example, Viktor Orban, the dictator in Hungary, he really consolidated power by doing populism. Now, when I say populism, I'm not talking about popular policies that a majority of citizens love. I'm talking about populism in the form of weaponizing hate, making hate popular, cracking down on LGBTQ plus students, uh, no, LGBTQ plus teachers more specifically. So he decided to ban any talks of gender expression and uh, sexual orientation in schools in Hungary. And then guess what happened in the United States? Oh, look at that. Ron DeSantis, Florida governor, potential 2024 presidential candidate, decided to do the same in Florida. And you think that since we've moved on as a society and have changed our opinions about LGBTQ plus people, you know, voters in Florida would reject that. He'd lose popularity. But guess what happened? He got more popular. Even Democratic Party voters bought into the don't say gay law because fascism, it takes hold and its popularity will shock you. I know you think that it's inconceivable, but it is very, very popular because it's not just sold as, hey, do you all like fascism and want to be fascists? It's sold in a covert way. It's sold in an insidious way. And because this is how it operates, well, now white supremacist conspiracy theories are being eaten up by even Democratic Party primary voters, 16%. 16%. Now, 61% of Trump supporters believe in the core tenet of the Great Replacement Theory, and Trump is the Republican Party. So the majority of one of two major parties in the United States, the only two parties that are electorally viable, one of them is completely white supremacist. They've bought in to white supremacist conspiracy theories. I don't think people can comprehend how destructive this is for society, for democracy, what this means for marginalized people, people of color, black Americans going forward. That's 61% of the base of an entire political party believes white supremacist talking points. It is absolutely astonishing to me, but I, I can't say that I'm shocked. Now, it's worth pointing out that weaponizing hatred, using it as a political tool, is a very, very effective strategy for capitalists. They want to distract you from the fact that elites in this country are robbing you blind. Your wages aren't stagnating because of your employer exploiting you. Your wages are stagnating because of immigrants. They're driving down, you know, the cost of labor for everyone. Blame them. Don't blame your capitalist employer. And on top of that, you see the way that they're attacking public education. Having an uninformed populace is very useful for neoliberals. It's very useful when fascism comes into play. It's just, we are in such bad shape as a country that I genuinely do not know if we can recover as a country. And I don't know what that means. Do we remain a country? Do states start breaking off and seceding? What's going to happen? Because it's so bad that it's unsustainable, and the trajectory that we are on is just nonstop violence in this country. We're already seeing more violence every single day, but having it become a more common phenomenon is an inevitability at this point if things don't change for the better. But the problem is that for the people who want things to change and they want a revolution of some sorts, at this point, we're having a revolution. The problem is that the fascists are winning that revolution, and we need to be clear about that. The fascists are winning the political revolution in the United States of America.
Don't pretend as if that isn't the case. Don't pretend as if Donald Trump doesn't represent all Republicans. Acknowledge that the fascists are winning in the United States of America, and now they're spreading fascism globally. We just saw CPAC hungry. There's going to be CPAC in uh, Brazil in mid-June. So we're seeing literally the formation of a global fascist movement. And people still are pretending as if things can change in this country by um, hoping and praying, I guess, and, and voting harder. No, things are getting really bad in this country. And we're actually beginning to get to a point where it's time to get Americans out of certain states. It's time to get Americans into different countries and have them seek asylum in Canada or other countries because this is not sustainable. And I know that that might scare people or seem overly doomer, but I'd rather you be scared and prepared than just kind of have fascism when it becomes explicitly and overtly violent hit you in the face. I want you to expect it. So that's where we're at. Is this the moment to reform gun laws? You know, it's, it's easy to go to politics. But it's important. It's at the heart of the issue. I, I get that that's where the media likes to go. No, it's not. It's where many of the people we've talked to here like to go. The proposals from Democrats in the media, inevitably, when some violent psychopath murders people. A violent psychopath who's able to get a weapon so easily. 18-year-old with two AR-15s. If you want to stop violent crime. The proposals the Democrats have, none of them would have stopped this. But why does this only happen in your country? I really think that's what many people around the world just, they cannot fathom. Why only in America? Why is this American exceptionalism so awful? You know, I'm sorry you think American exceptionalism is awful. I think I, this I think, aspect, I think, I think this I, aspect you know of it. You get your political agenda. No, it's God, honestly, God love you. Senator, it's not. I just want to understand why you do not think that guns are the problem. Why is this just an American problem? Well, it is just an American problem, sir. Mr. Cruz, why is America the only country that faces this kind of you know what? mass shooting? But you can't answer that. You can't answer that, can you, sir? You can't answer that. Why you know, is this country? Why is it that people come from all over the world to America? Because it's the freest, most prosperous, safest country on earth. It may be the freest, it may be the most popular. Why are our kids dying in That was Texas Senator Ted Cruz running away from a British journalist like the coward that he is because he couldn't answer a very simple question. Now, he'll pretend to care. He'll send out his condolences, thoughts and prayers. He'll grandstand as if he's going to do something to stop this. But notice how the solutions that he proposes don't actually address the core issue, which is guns. One of the things that, that, that everyone agreed is don't have all of these unlocked back doors. Have one door into and out of the school and have that one door armed police officers at that door. If that had happened, if those federal grants had gone to this school, when that psychopath arrived, the armed police officers could have taken him out and we'd have 19 children and two teachers still alive. So we don't do gun reform, we do door reform instead and create fire hazards in schools across the country. And that's the way that we save lives, according to Ted Cruz. This is expected.
Now, Ted Cruz isn't the only conservative who's proposing non-solutions. Dilbert creator Scott Adams tweeted, if we made it legal for kids to kill their bullies, a lot of problems would go away. We create new problems, sure, but how could these new problems be worse? This is a thought experiment, not a recommendation. Oh, well, thank you so much for the recommendation, Scott. If we subject children to duels to the deaths, then perhaps that can save lives. And, you know, this isn't just a couple of conservatives here and there talking around the issue, tap dancing around the elephant in the room. This is a common phenomenon, and this is what they do every single time. A Media Matters journalist decided to put together a compilation of all of the times Republicans on Fox News have proposed a solution, and she had 50 in particular. And notice how not a single one of these solutions has anything to do with guns or gun reform. I advocate always for an armed security guard. Armed school safety officer. Armed uh, deputy. Arming teachers. Potentially arm and prepare and train uh, teachers and other administrators. Armed school staffers. Bring in policemen. Training uh, the students themselves. Retired military, retired law enforcement. We can offer them tax breaks. If you give law enforcement the opportunity to impose martial law, we can guarantee safety and security. Securing that perimeter, kind of providing kind of a ring of steel. You have the fences, you have the main administration building, and then you have wide gaps on either side. The fencing's not very high. Where the door's locked. Bulletproof glass. All of these shootings have happened at the same time that we see religion and Christian values and, and Judeo-Christian values declining. Anybody who decides that they want to do something like this should immediately know that attacking a school is a death sentence for them. Kids are afraid of being the school snitch. We have to stop um, letting these schools be gun-free zones. People need to put their phones down and get to know the person next to them. We have spent billions of dollars on COVID-related measures for our schools. Let's take some of that money and divert it over to hardening these soft targets. A lot of these private schools, they take security way more serious. Parents take your children to church. This anti-police narrative is forcing people not to call police. A series of interlocking doors at the school entrance that are triggered by a tripwire and it traps the shooter like a rat. God is the answer to that. There's a moral rot going on that we all need to dig in and try to address. I vote for decreasing social media exposure. We need to start focusing on mental health. Tell us why you think it's important to pray in a moment like this. It calls for faith and prayer. Why is it that schools are protected in the same way that airports? There are some people who don't want uh, 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 police officers in schools with guns because other people are triggered. Uh, assault rifle and enhanced body armor. A notification system to let everybody in the school know what's happening. A single point of entry. I don't like talking about this stuff as it happens because I don't think it contributes anything positive. Parents should be held accountable uh, for raising their children properly. Ballistic blankets. We just don't have the resources to get law enforcement there quickly. How about an executive order for these mental health facilities? We have to start rebuilding this country and returning to God. I, I arm myself everywhere I legally can. It's up to you to protect yourself. So martial law, theocracy, more prayer, um, teaching your children to set up booby traps, kind of like in the movie Home Alone, I'm guessing. So where when a shooter enters the school, he'll trip a wire and that'll lead to a bucket of goo falling on his head, which will then trigger a fan to blow feathers onto him. I mean, this is literally what they're proposing. This, this is actually what they're proposing. Booby trap the school like Home Alone. 
this is why nothing gets done because we aren't having a serious conversation with serious people. These are bad faith actors who don't actually want to take action. They're fine with the way things are currently. And one of the common uh, themes that we see is either more funding for cops or more cops. But that didn't really help children in this particular situation, okay? The Uvalde police budget takes up 40% of the city's total budget, and they proved that they don't give a damn about saving children. They were too afraid to do anything to intervene and prove to everyone what failures and cowards they are. Cops stood outside the school while an active shooter was there for approximately 40 minutes to an hour, and they refused to go in, and to make matters worse, they stopped parents from going in and saving their own children's lives. And that's what you're seeing on the screen right now. Parents begging and pleading with cops to either do something or step aside and let them do something. Let them go in and save their children. But the cops refused, going so far as to handcuff, tase, and even pepper spray parents who were desperately trying to save their children's lives. Now, Gizmodo reporter Matt Novak shared a local article where a child who survived explains how a cop actually indirectly got one of the kids killed. They told the kids to yell for help, one of his classmates did, and that led to the shooter then targeting and killing that child who yelled for help. And the sad part is that help wasn't on the way. That child made themselves a target for nothing. Now, local journalist Megan Menchaca shared a Wall Street Journal article which describes how one mom, Angeli Rose Gomez, was handcuffed and told she was being arrested by federal marshals for interfering with an investigation because she dared to ask to go in and save her own children's lives since the cops weren't going to do it. Now, when she was released, she ran inside the school anyway, and she came out with her two children, saving their lives. So needless to say, no, I don't think that more cops are the solution. They proved how incompetent they are. And we're not even scratching the surface with this particular story relating to their incompetence. There's a lot more, but that just goes to show you no, these solutions are not solutions at all. And a lot of people instinctively blame the NRA. And it's true, Republicans aren't taking action because they've been bought and paid for by the NRA. But that isn't necessarily the full story because currently in 2022, the NRA isn't as powerful as they were before. As Mike Spies explains, it is not 2013. The Republican Party is no longer beholden to the NRA. It does not need to stand up to the gun lobby. The NRA hasn't made significant election outlays since 2016 and won't be able to again for some time. It is still mired in a costly lawsuit with the New York Attorney General. Its longtime PR firm, which served as the voice of the organization and devised Wayne Lapierre's persona, is long gone. Its most effective spokespeople are long gone. Its most effective leader, Chris Cox, is long gone. Cox's team is gone. Oliver North is long gone. At this stage, any decision the GOP makes is its own. Yeah. And to be clear, it's not like the NRA is the only uh, gun organization in the country. There are others like Gun Owners of America. But for the most part, you know, these donations that they took, it was from a while ago. So the real thing that they're worried about is paying a political price. Because if you take action right now, when everyone is still trying to deal with this tragedy, then it makes sense. But in a couple of months, when Americans begin to tune out and forget and feelings change, well, then they might pay a political price for going along with the Democrats and doing gun reform to maybe try to save lives. But the political price that Americans are paying because of Republicans like Ted Cruz and their refusal to take action is much, much higher than losing an election. So Irma Gonzalez is one of the teachers who was gunned down. She tried to save as many children as she possibly could in her classroom and she died. Now, just two days later, her husband, Joe Garcia, overcome with grief, suffered a fatal heart attack, and he died. That is what Republican politicians are subjecting your families to.
The political price that they may pay for doing the right thing pales in comparison to the price that families have to pay. Now, I have one more video that I want to show you. Uh, and just a forewarning, this video is absolutely heartbreaking. But I think it's important. I think that we shouldn't just detach ourselves from this situation and think, oh, it can never happen to me. Of course, it could happen to you. But listen to this father explain how he found out that his daughter, A. Marie, was one of the victims that was gunned down. I'm a med aide. So when I arrived on the scene, they still had kids inside. They started bringing the kids out and I was aiding assistance. One little girl was just, just covered in blood, head to toe. Like, I thought she was injured. I asked her what was wrong, and she said she's okay. She was hysterical, saying that they shot her best friend, that they killed her best friend, and she's not breathing, and that she was trying to call the cops. And I asked the little girl the name, and she's... <laughs> and she told me, hey, she said, Amory. That's how you learn. She was so sweet, Mr. Cooper. She was the sweetest little girl who did nothing wrong. She listened to her mom and dad. She always brushed her teeth. She did. She was creative. She made things for us. She never got in trouble in school. Like, I just want to know what she did to be a victim. <laughs> She loved being a big sister. You have a three-year-old son yes. named Zane. We have a three-year-old son named Zane who asks for his sister every morning when he wakes up. Just... He doesn't know at this point, I assume. We've, we've informed him that his sister is now with, with, the, God, with the God and that and that she will no longer be with us. And of course he just cried. I mean, he's three years old and it's, it's still it's just emotional for him to even process. <sighs> she just turned 10. Her birthday was on the 10th, May the 10th, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. You had a party for her. We had got, we just gathered a family and had a dinner. She just got her phone. She'd been wanting a phone for so long and we finally got it for her. And... <laughs> she just tried to call the police. She tried to, she actually tried to call. Uh, yes, I got confirmation from two of the students in her classroom that she was just trying to call the authorities. And I guess he just shot her. How you look at this girl and shoot her? <laughs> oh, my baby, how do you shoot my baby? Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> that is the pain that Republicans are subjecting Americans to, forcefully so. That father can't run away from this. Now he has to deal with the loss of his daughter and the pain that that brings for the rest of his life. But we have politicians like Ted Cruz running away from reporters like little cowards. So Republicans are not just 
cowards. They're not just corrupt. They are evil. They are actually evil. They are an organized death cult. And they are not letting any of us escape. They are forcing us to live in this society where violence happens every single week. Now, we hear about, you know, certain mass shootings, like the one in Buffalo, Uvalde. But more mass shootings have happened. They just don't get reported on. It is a common phenomenon, and they are forcing you to deal with this. And if you think that it can't happen to you, you're wrong. Every single parent probably thought this as well. So this is the situation. You know, in a couple of months, you're going to probably lose interest in this story, and perhaps it won't be as salient to you. But these families have to live with this forever, forever. And these emotions that you're feeling now probably won't come back until the next mass shooting happens, which could be as early as today, tomorrow, maybe next week. We're not sure, right? But understand, this is what Republicans are willingly subjecting you to. They are forcing you to live in their deranged death cult version of society where it's a dystopia where at any moment, if you're at the grocery store, at a movie theater, if your kid is in school, they could be shot dead. And that's not the only way that they're killing you. They're killing you with climate change. They're killing you by not giving you health care. So this is the state of America. Just remember who did this to you and don't forget. So a couple of years ago, a bunch of children decided to sue the United States government in order to establish a constitutional right to a livable planet. That's pretty reasonable if you ask me. Now, when this lawsuit was brought forward, guess who was the president? Nope, not Donald Trump. It was actually Barack Obama. And can you guess what Obama decided to do? Well, he decided to fight these children in the courts. His administration fought to dismiss this lawsuit. And then when he got out of office, Trump came to power. And then obviously Trump did the same thing. And in a couple of days, we're going to learn whether or not this lawsuit can move forward. And we have a new administration. So the Biden administration is going to have to ask itself, are we going to fight this in court or are we going to allow these children to move forward and establish the right to a livable planet so they may one day be able to be as old as I am. Well, look, we all know that Biden talked a really tough game when it comes to climate change. He said that he would treat this as the emergency that it is and promised to take it seriously. So how's he going to react? Well, right now, his administration is gearing up to fight these children in court just as his predecessors did. So as Julia Rock of the Lever explains, any day now, a federal circuit court is expected to deliver a ruling that would allow a historic climate change lawsuit to proceed to trial. If and when the case moves forward, however, it faces a major obstacle. President Joe Biden's Justice Department. The lawsuit, Juliana v. United States, was brought by 21 young plaintiffs in 2015 and seeks to establish a federal constitutional right to a livable planet. If the case is successful, any federal policies that enable more fossil fuel development could be challenged as unconstitutional. But the Obama and Trump administrations both vehemently fought the lawsuit, and now those close to the case say that Biden's Department of Justice has indicated it will also use every procedural tool at its disposal to prevent the lawsuit from ever getting a trial. I've asked them very directly, if we win this motion and we can move forward with the case, do you intend to go to trial? Julia Olson, the lead plaintiff's lawyer, 
told The Lever. Their response has always been something along the lines of, it is our position that the court doesn't have the jurisdiction and that this case should never go to trial. That's the Biden administration. That's who young voters elected to defend them from climate catastrophe. Now, understand that he is making a legal case. His administration, to be clear, his Department of Justice is making a legal case. They're saying, look, we're not saying that these kids shouldn't have a habitable planet. We're just saying that the court doesn't have jurisdiction. We're making a legal argument. You don't have to do that, though. You don't have to do this. You can choose to back down and not fight them. But they're choosing to fight them. Now, there's going to be conservatives who argue that, you know, it's preposterous to think that there is a constitutional right to a livable planet, because if that was supposed to be in the Constitution, then the founders would have written it in the Constitution. Now, there are going to be other individuals, more progressive-minded people, who will argue that this is a right in the Constitution, it's just not explicitly enumerated. Now, my position is, I don't care. Don't care at all if it's there, if it's not there. Uh, what I care is that people have this right. I don't give a flying fuck about what the founding fathers intended or didn't intend as they wrote this constitution using quills while shitting in a hole in the ground. I don't care. What I care about is that this constitution protects its people because if it doesn't do that, then it is useless. In fact, I shouldn't say that it's useless because assuming there is no right to a livable planet in our constitution, then there are still some uses for the constitution. Perhaps you can lay it on the ground to protect your carpet from paint splatter if you decide to paint. Perhaps you can use it as toilet paper, wipe your ass with it and then flush it. That's as far as the usefulness goes of this constitution. I have no respect for the founders or the constitution if there are not these safeguards in place to protect people from a habitable planet. Because understand that nothing else matters than having a habitable planet. The Constitution cannot exist without people being able to breathe and write it. So if that's not in the Constitution, the Constitution is fucking worthless. So I don't care about the Biden administration's excuse. I don't care about legal procedure. I don't give a flying fuck. If a government is not going to protect its people, that government is useless. That government is voiding the social contract. Now, the positive news about this story is that these kids have been relatively successful. For example, Oregon District Court Judge Ann Aiken wrote in a procedural ruling on the case in 2016, I have no doubt that the right to a climate system capable of sustaining human life is fundamental to a free and ordered society. That was the first time a federal U.S. judge declared that such a constitutional right existed. The case has widespread support from public officials. Last year, six state attorneys general filed an amicus brief in support of the case, and 48 congresspeople wrote to the Biden Justice Department in support of the plaintiffs. The matter is also beginning to capture public attention. The lawsuit is the subject of a newly released Netflix documentary, Youth v. Gov. After the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals dismissed the case in 2020 because it concluded that plaintiffs lacked standing, the Juliana plaintiffs revised their complaint. Now, parties are waiting on a ruling from Aiken about whether the revised complaint addresses the Ninth Circuit Court's concerns, a ruling that the plaintiffs' lawyers expect will be favorable, allowing the case to again proceed. So in the event this case does go forward and the Biden administration decides to fight them, Every single reporter should be pressing him on this. Every single news network should be juxtaposing news that he's fighting this with sound bites of him saying, I'm going to defend your future. I'm going to def defend your right to live on a habitable planet. 
because this is a broken campaign promise if he does this. But he's broken many campaign promises already, so I don't expect him to bend to public pressure. Biden is just basically asleep in the Oval Office, so this doesn't really surprise me. And I already, uh, I already knew that going into office, he wasn't going to do jack fucking shit about the planet. But what's really important is that we do anything we can to support these kids. So I want to play a clip from a 2016 Vice documentary with one of the leaders of this lawsuit. And, you know, this really shows you how powerful and um, inspiring these kids are. Take a look. My name is Shutesca Tonati. I'm a 15-year-old climate warrior, spokesperson for my generation, and I'm suing the United States government for violating my constitutional right to a healthy atmosphere when you see a headline of a newspaper that says youth suing Obama or kids suing Obama or teenagers rallying to sue the president for climate change, like, that'll get a lot of attention. I am the youth director of Earth Guardians. I decided to kind of keep the momentum going as just one small local crew of 15 kids that met, got pesticides out of our parks all in Boulder, Colorado, got fracking banned for the last six years here in Boulder County. We are working to empower young people to give them the voice, being excited and inspired and doing what we're passionate about, whether that's film, whether that's hip hop, whether that's sport, art, using those things to change the world around us. The thing that sucks is that the United States, we have contributed to climate change. We're one of the biggest polluting countries in the world uh, and we are suffering the least. There's so much power and there's so much profit to be made out of digging dead, decomposed plant and animal matter out of the ground. I mean, look around in my backyard, we are the front of a war zone for fossil fuel extraction. What happens is when they frack, they shoot millions of gallons of water, toxic chemicals and sand mixed together to, to fracture the shale beneath the ground. And then when it comes all back up, they gotta separate it. They take the oil and the gas and they take it off the ship and turn it into energy. But the contaminated water that comes back up is considered dead water. There's a well pad right there. Off to the left, that tan um, cylinder that's in the ground that's holding toxic wastewater. It's not like huge. It's not like the tar sands. It's not like a huge oil refinery. It's, it's almost, it's very hidden. They're really good at hiding it. A lot of it is underground. Everything that happens with fracking is happens underground. If there was a fracking well pad here, this water would surely be contaminated by all different types of benzene, ethyl benzenes, toluenes, xylenes. What we need to do is love water, not oil. That's the motto, love water, not oil. Because water is life, right? This is a public hearing where we will consider the length of the current temporary moratorium on Boulder County's processing of oil and gas. We did a direct action against the county courthouse and we held the courthouse for about 34 minutes. All the kids, so the Earth Guardian crew, we started an open mic chant and everybody in the audience was chanting messages about renewable energy and about banning fracking. Address the oil and gas producer! To address the oil and gas producer! The county commissioners that were all in their seats talking about fracking, they actually left. They were escorted out by the police and then the youth, the Earth Guardian crew, we went up on there, actually took all of their seats. We are here now and we are here today and we are fighting for our future! Which was a really powerful demonstration and we were up there until the police kicked us off. And Obviously, it was very informal, but it worked. We have five communities all along this side of the, the Continental Divide that we banned fracking. Mm. More to come. If that's not inspiring, then what is? These kids took over a city council and they did not leave until they were kicked out and they got fracking banned in their area. It makes me feel as if maybe we do have a little bit more power as citizens. And these kids are the ones leading the way, not the adults. Isn't it amazing? Now, some of these kids are old enough to uh, vote now. They were old enough to vote in 2020. And I'm assuming they voted for Joe Biden. So Joe Biden told these climate activists he was going to fight for them and be their ally and treat this as an emergency. And yet his administration is gearing up to fight them when he doesn't have to do that. Despicable. 
Biden is a despicable human being. And every future climate death, the blood is going to be on his hands. He's partially responsible for that. And climate change is already affecting a lot of people in the world. It's just not affecting developed countries as much. But that's on people like Joe Biden, leaders who refuse to act. Now, uh, you should definitely check out the full documentary. Uh, I'll link to that down below because it kind of goes through the religious beliefs of uh, that kid in the lawsuit uh, who, you know, really uh, takes this seriously, who believes that the climate deserves to live too. The world deserves a right to life too. So, you know, it's really important. So these kids are inspiring and, you know, as, as much courage as they have, you know, they're going to be fought tooth and nail by the Biden administration and Republicans. So, you know, in the event this gets to the Supreme Court, of course, this far-right extremist Supreme Court will strike down this case. But either way, it is so important that they take this as far as they possibly can go, because I think it's important, even if they lose, they make public officials tell them that they don't actually have a right to a livable planet. Say it. Tell them they don't have the right to a livable planet, because in doing so, you prove how worthless our system of governance and our legal system really is. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You'll get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.